What's up, everyone? Welcome to an all-new episode of Student Up Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. On the show, I dive into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers, interviewing them to uncover the tools they use, the ways they think about their success, work ethic, and how they perform at such a high level. Today's guest, in his own words, I'm a country boy from Texas who was drafted out of SMU by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm currently in year six of my NFL career playing for the New York Jets. I'm a football player, investor, professional speaker, and philanthropist. I focus my charitable efforts on STEM education, ending hunger, and have a strong passion for business and investing and learning. I live my life with a foundation of faith and family. Enjoy my conversation with New York Jets 300-pound tackle, Kelvin Beecham and his daughter. Today's episode is brought to you by Bombfell, an easier way for men to get better clothes. And it's simple. You or I complete an online questionnaire and are then matched one-to-one with a dedicated personal stylist. And Bombfell never charges above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns. It's a convenient home try-on and the ability to preview and edit your stylist picks before your order ships. Great businesses like this, especially for men who tend to lack skills in the shopping arena, at least if you're like me, really gives us the opportunity to remain efficient with our time, most valuable piece, get great styling advice, which actually nets out to a free personal stylist, which tend to cost a lot of athletes tons of money, and stay relevant, ultimately, with the best styled clothes. I'm all in. And the process is simple. Go to bombfell.com and sign up. Choose your basics and set up an order. You'll get a preview email from your stylist, and then boom, you receive your clothes. And no commitments, where you can cancel at any time, which is a huge perk. Now, because you're a Student Up podcast listener, you can access $25 off your first purchase by heading to bombfell.com forward slash Rabel. There is the deal. B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com forward slash R-A-B-I-L. Bombfell. Open and closed. When you wake up every morning, what are the first few things on your mind? For one, I need to get down and pray. That's the first and foremost thing I need to do. I need to hit my knees. Um, that's the first thing that I got to do. Um, well, your daughter's I, here. Yeah, my daughter's here. Kalina. Uh, Kalina. Um, you know, I'm a dad. You know, I always say God, family, and football. And uh, I'm having to actually execute that today because I got the... <laughs> you have family. Uh, yeah, I'm married, going on five years. This is my sec- uh, I have two kids. This is my oldest. Um, got a six-week-old at home, so... Uh, got a number of things going on, but first thing I do, I got to pray. Um, and then, you know, probably the next thing is kiss my wife and then, uh, start playing with my phone. Yeah. <laughs> when you play with your phone, checking emails. Oh uh, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I got notifications on, on a number of people that I, I like to follow. Um, whether it's investors, whether it's, uh, community people that are, that are in my community. Yeah. Um, that I like to, to, to hear what they have to say. Um, retweets things of that nature Instagram yeah uh, you know usually I got a, a subscribe to a number of different subscriptions so see those as well yeah um, but that's kind of the kickoff today that's where I start at we're gonna we're gonna discuss those resources that that you like to use my question around actual mobile apps and notifications you mentioned is is what platforms do you like to spend most of your time on what do you think are the best right now mm-hmm. in way of conversation off the field as well as conversation with your teammates on the field, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Apps on the field? Yeah. I don't think we have any apps on the field, which is great. I like to keep it 
keep it that way. Uh, so you don't use any like wearable tech. I, mean, I use wearable tech. Like yeah. Um, so uh, Whoop. Yeah. Uh, is is one that I use. Um, are you an investor in Whoop? Yes, you are. I am. Good for you. That's a great. Great platform. Great platform. Uh, they're doing a phenomenal job. Love what they're doing. How'd you get in there? Is it MIT guys, right? MIT guys. Uh, Will. Yeah. Uh, got in on their convertible note. Yeah. Um, so looking so early. Um, I mean, this last one. Okay. You know. Um, so excited about what's what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, still got a ways to go with that investment. You know, everything is still early, mm-hmm. but still has still a way to go there. Um, but like that app, have been using that for for a while. Um, it's a no ring. Uh, it's two companies. One is called Quora. Uh, Q U O A. Yeah. That's out of Finland. I actually just got a text from uh, their founder while I was in the bathroom with my daughter. And then um, uh, Motive, which is out of SF, um, also a ring. Um, World of Technology. I think that's measuring sleep. Yeah. Um, so I want to check those two out and see what see what they have uh, have to offer. One thing that they have going for them is their their battery life is a little longer than Whoop. You know, Whoop is only maybe two days. You know, where you have yep. the battery being able to. To, to work well, those are saying that it's about a week long now. So, wow, um, looking at trying those out and seeing where they go. So, obviously, as as a high performing athlete currently for the Jets, and then also having to parse out your time, as you mentioned, faith, family, then there's all the investing and and business operations, charitable work. Sleep's a big component, and that's presumably whether you subconsciously or consciously started there. How many hours are you trying to get a night, and what have you learned from the platform? Because Whoop is it, it's it fully immerses you in mm-hmm. not only just like, hey, you've registered eight hours of sleep, but your deep sleep, the mm-hmm. REM time, how many disturbances. Yep. So I aim to get eight hours. Mm-hmm. That's what I aim to get. You know, um, I've done well at times, especially during the season. I actually did a lot better, um, especially once I had my son than I thought I was going to do. Um, because the first time that I had uh, Kalina, when I had Kalina when I was in Pittsburgh, I didn't sleep too well. Uh, so, so, so learn some things, uh, from that time to this time. So I was excited about that. Um, but for me, what I've really enjoyed about the app and what I've really enjoyed learning is, is the recovery Mm -hmm. is the heart, heart, heart rate variability is how is those, how are those things being measured and how is your body reacting to the stress that that's putting, you know, that you're putting on your body. And it was really great to see the, the, uh, the statistics during, um, training camp. Uh, when those things, you know, when training camp is kind of the hardest time of the year um, and actually seeing how my body um, worked and how I recovered during those times. So to see whoop happen on, a, on, on that scale, the, the, the most rigor um, for me was, uh, was, was great to see that it actually works and it actually is pretty accurate. Now, I'm a few years older, but I've learned when I was younger, actually just more in reflection, we would try to train, 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 and then eat well, eat well. And then sleep would kind of be third agenda item. I'd shoot for eight, as you mentioned. But what I've learned now is you could, I would actually substitute, if I were to have to make a choice, training and nutrition for sleep. Do you find that to be the case for you, uh, at least in, in terms of weighing the importance of sleep as it relates to recovery? Where I'm, where I'm substituting more sleep for? Well, putting you in a situation where... You're at CES. Mm-hmm. I read your LinkedIn article. <laughs> you, you you miss sleep. Oh, yes, uh, I did. You, you probably didn't get a chance. Now, granted, you're just in the start of the offseason, so you probably didn't get a chance to work out, or maybe that's part of your, your routine. you got to like let your body heal you from the let, season. you got to let it heal. So 
so if you, let's say let's say CES middle of the off season or CES leading into OTAs and you have a couple of days that you need to sacrifice mm-hmm. for work and off field and the future of, of Kelvin Beecham, mm-hmm. you're either going to sleep another hour or you're going to get a training session in for an hour. Sleep another hour. That's right. And it's not so much um, which is you know which one is better. But which one is <clears throat> which one is going to be more efficient for my body? Yeah, you know, and um, that even goes, I think, into the off season as well. Yeah, because even once I start training during the off season, you know, I'm asking those same questions. You know, all right, do I want to eat? Do I want to sleep? Do I want to train? Because the thing is, train. You know, at this point in your career, you know, I'm going into year seven. Training is great, but it's about how efficient that training is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about going to go work out for. Four hours, six hours. Yeah, it's about how efficient can you be with your body because you know it's, it's wear and tear uh, that happens, especially as a football player. It takes time for the body to recover, it takes yeah. time for the body to heal, um, and it also takes time for the muscles to grow from the training. So that's right. You need proper time to allow those, you know, those things to happen. And we've, you know, kind of been, um, especially the athletic community, been a part of this, this, uh, I guess, this mindset that. Um, you know, we just work, 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 and we don't rest. Yeah. You know, so I've come to the knowledge that we need to rest a little bit more just to make sure that we're keeping everything, uh, keeping everything balanced. Yeah, sleep's critical. I think we're, we're finding more out about that, especially with away team travel. If you're going from the Jets to going to play the Seahawks and getting out there extra early because of the time difference, um, and so that's that's a really cool place to start. I will say now, sitting across from you here in New York. And uh, you just picked up your daughter, Kalina. This is the first time I've done an interview with with father-daughter. But if she'd like to say hello, she can. This is probably your first podcast, isn't it? Say yes. Yes. <laughs> we've, done, uh, we've done podcasts with agents and managers and friends and siblings. But um, it's good to have you guys both here. And, and let me kind of use that then to, to start with your origin story. So mm-hmm. born and raised in Texas. Texas football went to SMU. Yep. Your your father was a big influence on you, and he gave you a piece of advice at one point that that was more or less maybe a, maybe a maybe an insight or question or ask or favor of you. It said like, "I want you to 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 do something more than what I did or my mm-hmm. father did." Yeah. So that you know really speaks to who he is. You know, um, I always and everybody wants to you know. Well, why do you do? The work that you do in the community. Why do you do the work that you do, um, you know, football-wise? Or why do you do the work? And I always take it back to my lineage. You know, my grandfather's been blind for over 70 years. Mm. Um, he taught my dad how to work on cars. He still works on cars. He's 90-plus years old now. Mm. Um, pastor of my church, so he was my pastor growing up. Uh, he had nine kids. My dad was the oldest. Um, dad was the oldest and ended up having to go to, uh, you know, ended up dropping out of college, dropping out of high school in eighth grade, uh, to uh, help the family out. Hmm. Uh, my dad is now an uh, owner of one of the largest African-American-owned businesses, working on cars, back in my hometown. Yep. Um, and all while we grew up, he always talked about, I just want you to go farther than we did. Yeah. I want you to go farther than, you know, I went farther than my dad. I want you to go, you know, uh, and I want you to go farther than me. You know, now to my son, who's, who's now in this world, uh, he has to go farther than me. And even my daughter, she has to go, uh, farther than me, you know. Right now, I'm trying to. I'm working through different um, 
different apps uh, like ABC Mouse yeah. to, to try to get her uh, in tune to things um, that are a lot you know, different. We didn't have ABC Mouse growing up. We had uh, VTech. I think that was some of the games that we had growing up that, yeah. uh, that we had to use. So being able to just experience and expose her to things that I wasn't exposed to. So that's something that I've lived by, something that my dad is was really adamant about when we were younger. So trying to make sure that I give my daughter the same type of uh, – same type of experience. Now, you're a, a really introspective guy, which is what really excited me about getting you on and, and rapping with you. And and a question that I have with regard to your father's advice or, or ask to you is that, you know, and, and you talk about the value of, of relationships mm-hmm. so much as to your success ongoing. We often, you know, define success as some type of, you know, measurable outcome per career, making it to the NFL mm-hmm. or starting a company and selling it. And and often we then find that it's not about that material success or recognition. It's about the relationship that you build and the core characteristics that you embody as a human being. And to mm-hmm. me, it sounds like, wow, your father's advice was wonderful. And it sounds like he was such a great man for, for, for kind of embarking that on you and just that alone is is something that I would want to resemble and would consider that a win. And and so I, I'm just curious, how, how do you think about, you know, what success means to you? Mm-hmm. So in that context, um, success for what my dad asked me to accomplish, that has been accomplished. Mm-hmm. That's in his terms of success. You know, for him, success was making sure that all his kids got to college. Mm-hmm. And he did that. We all got full rides. That was his terms of success. So he accomplished what he had set out to do. So in my, I guess, my version or my, when I think about success, what am I, what am I setting out to do? And then am I going to accomplish that? And the thing is, success, and I tell people this all the time, success is not this point, you know, like, okay, you make it to the Super Bowl, you're successful. Yes, that's great, you know, but how many times then can you make it to the Super Bowl? Well, how good can you make it look getting to the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you look at the success of uh, of Tom over there across the pond, well, up up the street. Yeah, you know, um, they've they probably wouldn't define the success by just the number of Super Bowls they've you know won, but the fashion in which they've won them multiple times. Hmm. And for me, I look at success as it's a journey. You know, you have a marker, you go hit it, then you go find another marker, you go hit that, and you keep doing it. Over and over, success is building blocks. You know, it's just a, you know, just a notch in your belt. I feel, yeah. um, and it's something that you continue to do over and over and over. You continue to evolve. Um, there's, there's no just end game in success. There's al- always something that you can continue to evolve with. Yeah, I like the notion of continual improvement. I was listening to Terry Crews talk about success, and uh, I had never heard it framed this way. But he acknowledged two things that people often think. One is it's a race or we're in a sprint. Um, and, and he said, nope, that's not true. The other, the other bit is, you know, we're in a marathon and, and success is, you know, about the, the long-term vision of where you're going. He goes, nope, that's not true either. Mm-hmm. He was like, success should be defined as a trail run. You're not, against, you're not going against anyone, mm-hmm. right? And, and there are, you know, certain levels of accomplishments that, that we can all set for each other mid-range, higher, lower, but they're basically sites that we can go visit, and it's more about how we feel internally and what we want to accomplish. Uh, but for success, for you, has 
come throughout your journey, mm-hmm. and you know, we'll go to high, we'll go to college where you're at SMU, full ride, um, graduate's degree, masters, mm-hmm. and then you gave your commencement speech at your graduation. Mm-hmm. So no shortage of of student athlete, um, <laughs> you know, just glowing uh, from from you across the table. So how did you think about school? And, and by the way, along along the way, fifty two consecutive games mm-hmm. playing for the team, setting records. It, it's that type of balance doesn't come very often. Mm-hmm. You know, I look back at what. I accomplished, and, I, and I'm like, how did I do it? I really don't know how I did it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I had a goal. I had people around me. I talk about relationships all the time, yeah. you know. And you mentioned that at the onset. And I had people around me that, you know, sat down and said, hey, Kelvin, you can get this done in three and a half years. And I'm like, all right, well, let's get it done in three and a half years. And, you know, I finished, you know, my econ degree. And, um, you know, for me, I, I never wanted to be just a stereotypical student athlete. I never wanted to be... Just the guy that just, you know, went to SMU um, and I was there to play football and that was it. I wanted to just I wanted to maximize every single opportunity that I had there. So, you know, instead of just going and um, taking classes in uh, volleyball or in bowling, um, I actually wanted to do something, you know, with it. So, uh, you know, went to um, the dean and told him what I wanted to accomplish. I told him the time frame in which I wanted to accomplish it in. And um, he actually rejected me the first time. Um, Dean Sharp. Mm. Um who's actually out of school up in Boston now um, as, a, as, a, as a president there. And um, I laid the plan out. I told him how I was going to get it done. I had 16 months. I told him I was going to take this amount of classes in the spring, this amount of classes in the winter, this amount of classes in the, in the, in the fall semester, and, and on and on and, until I completed it. And then in the last semester, I actually, like I said, detailed out the entire plan on how I was going to do classes from afar while I was training for the combine in Indianapolis. So the last semester, I wasn't even in Dallas um, uh, to actually finish school, I was in Indianapolis training for the combine. Wow! Um, and taking so I would train all day. Um, we would do two days uh, training all day, um, recovery. You know, doing everything that you're supposed to do to get ready for the combine, and then I would do homework at night, and then I would catch up um, on. That's when Skype was just not coming out. They would record Skype for me uh, and Skype the class, and I would you know uh, then listen to the classes and write papers on on, on what I learned in class um, at night while. You know, I was getting ready to, to to train, you know, for the for the for the following day. Um, but I had all those things laid out, and I was very poignant about how I wanted to do it. Um, and what was crazy about it at the end of the the course, it was Dean Shard who had then rejected me at the beginning, who finally let me in, who was the guy that introduced me at my commencement speech. So um, it came full circle in sixteen months. So yeah. it was a it was a magical ride. And what did you talk about? What did you address in your in your speech to the graduates? You know, for me, um, I address stereotypes. You know, hmm. um, at the time, you know, you think about the culture that was going on there at SMU and it's still somewhat uh, somewhat prevalent is, you know, if you're an African-American person at that school, um, most likely you're an athlete. Um, and that was the case. Um, you know, when I when I um, took the scholarship there at SMU, they said that uh, the minority rate was 19. It was 19 percent minority at SMU. And I was like, oh, that's a good amount of people of color at at SMU. Well, when they said minority, that's considering pretty much everybody that's not, not Caucasian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, coming out of high school, you know, where uh coming out of my hair, you just we just I was just I wasn't exposed to to those trains of thought. I just thought, you know, it was a lot of it was a lot of 
people of color. There's a lot yeah. of brothers and sisters there. And uh, I got there, and it was like, no, that's everybody that's non-white. And then, mm. you know, you drill down, and it's only about 2%. Um, that's uh, people of color, well, African-American descent there. Um, so a lot of black people there were athletes, yeah. um, whether basketball, football, track, you know, some of the sports that are dominated by African-Americans. So for me, I really talked about stereotypes and assumptions because those things were um, impressed upon the people there uh, at SMU. And I experienced it even within me, um, you know, trying to get into that master's program. And it wasn't so much because I was black, but it was because I was a student athlete. So another yep. stereotype and another assumption um, that was put uh, on me because I was a student athlete. And a student athlete is not supposed to um, – be able to take this many classes, and he's not supposed to be able to get this done in 16 months. It's really a four-year, four-year, um, four-year graduate process for mm-hmm. the average person. But I didn't have four years; I had 16 months, so a year and a half, uh, well, a year and four months to get this done because I wanted to both get my degree and get this graduate degree, and go and play football and not have to worry about you know a master's a master's degree while you know while I wanted to continue life. So we live in a world and, and uh, where, where there are stereotypes of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the reasons why I started this show was around the stereotype of athletes and how one-dimensional they can be in, in this world we grew up in of like jocks versus nerds. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about that with a former guest, Cam Porter. And that's not true. Now, certainly in, in any category, um, gender, religion, race, sexual orientation. There are those extremists that fall into stereotypes. There are others that don't. But like, we just live in a world of stereotypes. So, you know, your your message and way to you know any listener around perhaps a, a solvent or a utility, or whether you're on one end of the stereotype or mm-hmm. whether you're someone who's stereotyping. Mm-hmm. Is it empathy? Like, how can we understand? How do you think about that? Even in a world where you know, we had the protests in the NFL this year that mm-hmm. our president kind of drove a wedge further in between the polarization of party politics. And, um, you know, how are you communicating not only with young black athletes, but getting the white athletes or non-minorities to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of understand more? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, number one, see, see things through a different lens. You know, um, for me, what I've what I've been able to do, I went to Honduras a couple of years ago, and people never know what other communities and 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 other nationalities and religions are going through unless you see it for yourself or you hear from from them yourself. You know, I went to Honduras and saw that you know people people there that have access to to water, and mm. for me, I was like blown away. You know, we, we t- take this for granted. If I don't drink this today, this might just uh, go in the trash, you know, this bottle of water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just how fickle we are with, with water here where you have people in other countries that, that don't don't have water. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Australia um, and saw that the, the native people there, um, how they were discriminated against, you know, and, and how they were actually drove off a cliff um, there in Australia. Um, for not being like the Europeans that came to to own that land there in Australia. Um, So when you actually go and hear what people have to say and hear the experiences, um, hear the experiences that they've been through, you can kind of get a deeper understanding of of what it is that they're talking about when they're talking about oppression and talk about systematic racism and and, 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 and hear about some of the things that they've been through that you may not have been through. 
Um, and it's been great, I think, in the in a, in a NFL locker room to be around so many different diverse individuals mm. um, where you can hear different perspectives on the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is at the end of the day, we still love each other and we're still teammates. We may have a difference of opinions, but we can talk politics in our locker room and we can talk about racial, racial tension in our locker room and nobody will fight. Nobody will hit one another. Nobody will cuss one another out. We have a very, um, uh, uh, I guess, open, open yeah. and sometimes heated exchange. Hmm. And we still love each other, and we'll go out and go play football, and we'll go out and protect each other, you know, 30 minutes later at practice, yeah. you know? And it's crazy that, you know, in a locker room, we can have all these different people coming from all these different social economic backgrounds, rich, poor, black, blue, Indian, Hispanic, you know, what have you, Um and we can all get along and find a way to get along uh, and have, you know, different views on politics. But you come outside in the real world and, and you try to have conversations with somebody about whether to take a knee mm-hmm. or not. And, well, you disrespecting the military. Like, but you won't even have, well, well, let's have a conversation about it. Let's, let's at least see if you can, you know, understand my view before uh, you make an assumption. So for me, it's, it's, it's you know, I think getting out of our way and, and kind of going out of our comfort zone and, and trying to find a different view, trying to find a different angle and allow, you know, yourself to see how somebody else has been through something or went through something and then start to develop uh, some opinions and views about certain situations. I love that. Amen, man. Sports, the first thing I'll say in reaction is that sports are such a terrific proxy in encouraging change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the three biggest categories that coexist across generation and gender. It's sports, it's politics, and religion. The latter two are often forbidden in conversation at the dinner table, call it. Mm-hmm. Sports lives there because it's lighter. But as such, we're given an opportunity mm-hmm. to then drive human interest stories that are important. The conflict there is a lot of people just want sports to be sports. Correct. And and that's something that I think folks like yourself and your peers are are, are continuing to lead thoughtfully, charismatically, mm-hmm. in a sophisticated manner. Like, nope, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. We have voices too, and they're important voices. Well, the thing is, is some people don't realize I have a daughter at home, I have a son at home, and I have a wife at home. I have a mother, I have a father, mm-hmm. I have brothers, I have sisters, just like you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's amazing. But it's crazy. Some people feel, well, you play sports. Well, you do too. When you go, right. when you go down to the YMCA, you play basketball. When you go uh, to your family reunion, you play kickball or soccer or or baseball or softball. You play sports too. Like, what's what's the big deal? All because I get paid to play a sport. If you was gambling and you happen to beat uh, the, the 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 person you was gambling with, you just got paid to play your sport too. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like I don't think people realize how basic we are. Like we're humans. We bleed. We put on pants. We put on shoes. We put on socks. We put on an undershirt, we put on a T-shirt, it's cold outside, we put on a scarf and gloves. Like, we're no different than than anybody else walking down the street. And sometimes I think people forget that, well, you play sports, you can't do this. Well, we got rights too. We play sports. But you play sports too. Yep. Everybody everybody in this world plays a sport of some time. If you it's our a- job, just like whatever it is you do is your job. Your job. Yep. yep. The, the second thing that I love is is communicate, having mm-hmm. conversations, whether that's inner locker room conversations or the one that gets often neglected is Colin Kaepernick's first conversation with a Navy SEAL mm-hmm. after he had first sat in protest. And the SEAL came to him and said, you know, I understand where you're coming from. 
perhaps we genuflect instead mm-hmm. of sitting so people don't take it as a slight. And Colin took the feedback and said, okay, I will. And so a conversation being had, now, now we're kneeling, which is a sign of, of, of reverence, mm-hmm. uh, and in this case, to the flag mm-hmm. and to the military. It still gets skewed because of the social bubbles and context that we live in, and almost in a way, so conversation is really important. I was listening to President Obama on um, David Letterman's new Netflix show, mm-hmm. and he talked about, and you'll have great input on this, but he talked about how we live in these social bubbles. Um, family, friends, geography. Then the other piece is we're hearing a lot of talk about the big platforms, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, um, and and their algorithms Mm -hmm. and how they actually enforce those bubbles. And he gave three examples. You have a conservative, you have a moderate, and you have a liberal. They all type in their Google search, Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, For the conservative, a, a Muslim brotherhood result comes up. For the moderate, vacation homes and for the progressive, it actually gives you factual data about mm-hmm. Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. And that is really interesting because even our own searches from the platforms, our recommended friend groups, our recommended follows mm-hmm. are, are skewed to enforce Correct. those social bubbles. And, and that's why we're really challenged with change. What do you think as a prominent tech investor and advisor some of these platforms, um, the big Apple, Amazon, more, more so... Facebook, Facebook and Google yep. should be doing. You know, that's a, a very interesting topic, especially with, you know, how, you know, coming, like I said, coming from CES, artificial intelligence was something that um, was big out there. Um, it's something that needs to be discussed. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it looks like. You know, I don't know what it seems like. Um, you got voice-enabled voice, voice enabled, um, products that are now starting to come out. So it's, okay, are these voice-enabled uh, products having... Own, their own mind of themselves, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which I mean, that's what artificial intelligence artificial intelligence is. It's, that's right. It's um, making data more efficient, and from a voice standpoint, it's making voice more efficient. Um, it's 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 a very um, it's very interesting times right now. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to point to one thing to consider or one thing to change to make sure that this happens, you know? Um, the ultimate is, challenge is that these platforms, take Facebook and Google, they're going to have to sacrifice revenue to balance out because ultimately the reason why they'll, they'll, they'll direct certain their, their algorithm a certain way to the customer mm-hmm. is that they know what the customer is interested in that's in their best interest to drive those interests for advertisers. Which is what they've been doing for years now. Yeah. You know, so they're going to have to make some choices. They're going to have to make some. uh, It's just a very interesting time uh, from a tech standpoint. And as an investor, you know, it's kind of you got to look at it and and still hold your morals and have some morals about, you know, what you're investing in and and, and what you're looking at. And and is this good for our country? Is this good for our world? Is this something that needs to be happening? Um, You know, I was again at CES and they said, hey, go, go in here and talk to your grandmother. Um, and it was a voice-enabled phone call. I called the grandmother, and the grandmother says, hey, I hear you at CES. Um, but I, I didn't mention, and we, we were having a conversation, and had not mentioned CES at all. We were talking about cookies, and I was calling her about her birthday. But just how, from a voice-enablement standpoint, we were able to just navigate to different conversations. It's a crazy world, and it's crazy stuff. With Google Assist, okay, um, and how they're connecting literally everything within your house. Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's wild. It's unreal. I mean it, we're going to have connected cities via voice-enabled products 
here pretty soon. Yeah, voice is, enabled voice recognition software is is going to add the ultimate layer of connectivity. Yeah. But but will lead to a time where I think Google and Amazon will become so big that they'll have to be broken up because Well, my thing is what like I thought we got rid of monopolies. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it, it ebbs and flows. Um but uh, but yeah, obviously, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And uh, sitting at this table with you again, reminding myself that we, we can go really broad on a number of different topics. There's <laughs> just a lot of fun. But I, I do want to hear a little bit more going back to your commencement speech at the time in college. Yep. You're at the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the NFL was always on your mind. That was a goal because one of the things I think about for student athletes is, okay, you, you, you can usually, and here I am stereotyping, you can usually parse out student athletes at the Division One or collegiate level that are playing. If they feel like they have a shot at the pro game, especially in the NFL where the money is so ludicrous and, and even in the NBA, and, and ludicrous just be because it's sizable. I think it's Correct. deserved based on the market. Um, but, but, but they – they often will just commit there because in short-term interest, you could just logically say the more you're in the weight room, the more you're working on your playbook, the, lo- the more likely you are to be drafted in the mm-hmm. bigger contract. So the NFL obviously was on your mind, mm-hmm. and you still went long in academics. You get drafted. You don't part ways with your academics, and then you're pursuing additional careers. So it was, was it always on your mind to say, like, there's life after football or there's life during football that I'm going to be able to manage? You know, at, at at to begin with, you know, when I went into college, it was always, or even even in high school, it was always, you know, football doesn't last forever. You know, you got to have a backup plan. What's your backup plan? What's your backup plan? What did the college? What's your backup plan? All right, I got this degree. I got this degree. But well, what's the backup plan? Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was always to to own my dad's shop. I'm I'm, I'm next in line. I'm the oldest. You know, just via lineage, his grandfather. My yep. dad, I'm next, you know. Um, family business. Family business, you know, I'm next. But what, if that doesn't work, what's the, what's the backup plan? So mm. I always went about it, like, just trying to stack backup plans. And now I've gotten to this point in my life, and it's like, all right, well, what's the backup plan? If NFL doesn't work, or if that, that route doesn't work, well, what's the backup plan? Many of you out there know I travel a lot. And while I do my best work with my SNC team and physical therapists when on the road, sometimes I'm in need of some good workout instruction, especially when I'm doing additive work and also looking for something fun. Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. And Beachbody On Demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals, where in my opinion, this is a big value add here that differentiates their business from others. Brands under the label, some of which you may have heard before, include P90X, Insanity, and my personal favorite, three-week yoga retreat. All content is accessible on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device, so you're ready at all times. So... Workout enthusiasts, young athletes, coaches, and parents, you need to give this service a try. And right now, my Student Up podcast listeners can get a free trial membership when you text RABEL to 303030. That's right. You'll get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutritional information free. Just text RABIL to 303030. Enjoy. During the draft, you be, because of you know, how 
how strong how strongly analyzed it is and and the predictions that go forth tend to be fairly accurate you mm-hmm. were seventh round prediction potentially undrafted you were drafted mm-hmm. um but that backup plan's probably lingering you go from a position when you're with the Steelers and the, the sources that be pro football focus um, <laughs> has you rated as one of the worst offensive tackles in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Backup plan lives. Boom, fast forward. You, you work your ass off. You go out for tight end. You change back. Steelers want to resign. You go to Jacksonville. Now, you know, fast forward to where we are. One of the now pro football focus top five offensive tackles in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Again, I'll question people that have backup plans. They tend to say, okay, well, I've got this. I've got this kind of sitting on the side. I'm ready to do this. But you just put all that focus back in or somehow are able to Mm co-manage. How do you rebound from a sport that has wide attention, mainstream attention, Mm -hmm. uh, being – you know, kind of a, a an outcast um, in, in way of the rankings of mm-hmm. your position to being able to turn that around. And a lot of it was around size, so something mm-hmm. that you can't change per perspective of yep. other people. Yep. I mean, what did you do? You know, it's it's about how laser focused do you want to be, you know? Um, how focused do I want to be on this goal, this this particular success that I want to have this year? Um, how focused do I want to be there? And then start putting things in line to do so. Um, so what I do, I mean, even in my house right now, even right next to my bed, I have, you know, you talked about pro football focus. I actually have uh, last year's pro football focus list uh, on my wall, and I think I was um, five, 40-something last year or mm-hmm. something. Um, and then I have my my name highlighted, and then I have the top ten, top ten uh, threshold mm-hmm. highlighted, and I see that every day. Hmm. And um, it's times my wife, and even when I was in Pittsburgh, I had the top. I had my scouting department in Pittsburgh. I had them rank the tackles. Uh, I think it was 2014. I had them rank the tackles, and I think I was number 22, ranked by my own my my own internal uh, yeah. team. Yeah, and. Uh, I had that put on my. I had my wife blow it up. She would. Always, she. I have her blow it up to where it's huge. Yeah. And I would put it either behind, either above the bed or or right next to the wall beside the bed. And I look at those things every single day. Uh, everything that I did was poignant to. Well, how do I get back to that top ten? How do you know? I'm. I'm very. I'm. I'm like a. For me, I. I, I consider some of the things that I do very stockish. Like. I'm stalking this this particular yeah. thing, you know, like a pack of wolves. I'm just one, but I'm I'm going I'm I'm pulling all these different things to find a way to get to that that one point. Like piranhas, like you know, yep. it's, it's, it's a point. You got all these different things that are going on, but the piranhas really just they all them together really going after one thing, and it's yep. just this collection of energy. And it's crazy. You see a group of piranhas. You see all these all these different things. You know, all these different views, and then all of a sudden it just comes into one thing, and it's very direct. And for me, I can be that same way uh, about a number of things. But once I put my mind to it, and once I have that layers of focus, I go right after and find a way to go after it with everything that I got. So you have these layers of focus. It, it's, it seems incredibly motivational, and, and you know what you want, and at all costs. At all costs. Then there are people that, that may have that drive, mm-hmm. but they don't know then take take the next steps technically mm-hmm. or strength-wise. And obviously, you, you come off as someone – who's quite cerebral and and with your business background can get into the micro tasks in front of you. 
So once you have that focus, you're driven every night, every day you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about what to do. How did you break down then, okay, personally, here's how I should be thinking about my position Mm -hmm. and areas of which I can improve. So for me, how do I better my craft? Where's the best place in the country, in the world, who can break down me as an individual? Hmm. What are my flaws? What are the things that I struggle with? Where are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? Where where are ways that I can improve? I'm not going to be a 6'7", 320-pound tackle. I'm 6'3", 295 on a good day. That's just where I got to be at. All right, how can I maximize what I'm doing? And who in the world can help me maximize what I do have? So for me, I went to a guy named Charles Bentley out in Arizona. That's where I've been training for the last three or four years. Um, he's a guy that breaks down the body and the, the mechanics of the body to the, to the T. So if, you know, for me, you know, if, you, if your foot is not aligned just right, we're going to do it over. If your hips are not square, we're going to do it over. So detailed. So for me, just got, I got, got with somebody that was even more detail-oriented than I was, that was even more of a stickler than I was. And I went there, and I go there every year. Um, and I started developing, you know, his, his kind of mantra, his lifestyle. You know, I changed my body composition. When I got into the league, I was, uh, a little, I was over 30% body fat. Mm. I got with him, I got it down to 22%, um, something that I'm continuing to work on. Um, it's something that I, I work on every, every, <laughs> every year. Yep. You know, I come from a country background. Everything is fried, fried chicken, fried fish, everything <laughs> fried. Man. You know, I, I, that's, 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 my, that's my weakness, fried foods, man, and sweets. And, um, Mine's cheese. <laughs> I can have cheese. I can have all the cheese I want to. It's paleo, so I can have all the cheese there I want. There you go. Okay, so you're paleo. <laughs> I try to. Yeah. I, try, I try to keep the carbs out. Yeah. Um, but got with him, and, and, and he really changed, especially professionally, really got with him, and it changed a, a, a lot in how I looked at the game and how I looked at my body, how I looked at approaching, uh, how I attacked the game. So for me, it wasn't just I was driven, but how can I surround myself with, you know, I've talked about relationships, go back to the conversation we had earlier. How, how can I surround myself with those people? And then it's really about the craft. What do I need to do within my craft to be better? You know, when I, when I blew my knee out in 15, it was some things that I had to change. I just couldn't play the way that I played beforehand. So what are ways in which I can change my craft to utilize the God-given ability that I do now, that I now have now to be more efficient? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, you know, surround myself with people. Be motivated internally, self-motivated yourself. Surround myself with, with, with the right people. And then, man, you know, it, you just got to go and get it. You yeah. know, um, it's no magic formula, to be honest with you, on, you know, how do you get it done and how do you not get it done? I, I wish I can tell you. Um, and even now, it's like, all right, well, I just don't want to be, you know, I had a coach, Adrian Clem, who's like a, my mentor. He's my, my O-line coach in college. Um, he was the guy that told me to get, get, get school done in three and a half years and then, you know, get, get my master's before I got drafted. And he was like, you never want to be a jack. You never want to be just a guy. You know, you never want to be that. So I never wanted to be that. So for me is, all right, what does it take to be in the top ten? What does it take to be in the top seven, the top five, the top three? The number one guy in the, in the National Football League. Tyron Smith, Trent Williams, um, David Bakhtiari, Joe Thomas, Jason Peters, Joe Staley are some of the best offensive tackles in the National Football League, left tackles in the National Football League. Athletic, strong, powerful. Some of them look like they were created by God himself to play left tackle. They was put on the earth just to do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Yeah, like the Michael Phelpses of the world with you know, webbed feet. You know, that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's that's what God created them to do. Now, what can I do to even 
what can I do to be considered there? You know, and for me, I just got to work at it. I got to keep working at it. I'm, I'm not going to have those, what, what God gave them, God gave them. What I have is what God gave me, and how can I maximize everything that I have to get to that point? So it's not like, you know, some people, well, you did it, you know, how can I do it? Well, yes, I did it, but now I'm in, a, I'm in another rat race. Yep. You know, it's here's the best. And how can I get to that point? And you, you know, we, you kind of started, well, I want to be the best athlete investor in the world. All right, well, who's the best athlete investor right now? Yeah. And then go chase them. Yeah. And then go find out what they do. Well, who's the best investor in the world? Go find out who they are. Model, model after what they do to, mm. to go and, 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 and attain them. So the thing is, yes, it's a goal, but you got to do the work to go and, and find it. And yes, it's a rat race. Yes, it's something that you got to continue, got to, continue to go, and it's going to be brick walls. Either you're going to, you know, it's so funny. I, I read, my daughter has this, this book called The Bear Hunt Book. I don't know if you ever if you remember it, uh, but she has me read it to her sometimes, and it's so funny. You know, you can't go around it. You can't go under it. You got to go through it. And That's it's right. this, this Bear Hunt Book. I mean, it's, 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 a, yep. it's a well-known kid's book. And it's crazy. You got to go through it. That brick wall, you got to find a way to go through it. Hmm. And when you go through it, man, you, you, you realize how much work it took to get through that, that wall. And you appreciate um, everything about being on the other side of that wall. But then you got another wall to go to. You got another step to go to. You got another plateau to go to. So for me, it's just continuing to evolve. It's continuing to get better. Um, and for me, you know, that top five percentile in the National Football League is what I desire to get at. And if I get paid to do so, I don't care. For me, it's a, I'm so prideful. You know, I've gotten to a point where, yes, I've, you know, for me, I still got one more contract. And I've told my agent the number that I really want to have yeah. um, as far as, you know, uh, that number within that contract. But for me, if I get it, I don't. If I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. For me, it's about how many years I play, how many starts I have, how old I am when I'm playing. Because for me, that's even more important. I was the last tackle, last offensive lineman taken in the 2012 draft. I want to last longer than anybody else that played mm. in my draft. Yep. For me, that's that that's success. And then, you know, I want to make sure that I get a Super Bowl. That's that's another piece of success. I want to yep. make sure I get in the Pro Bowl. That's another piece of success, you know? Yep. But for me, playing so long and playing at a high level for a long time is what I desire to have. And it's something that I have to continue to thrive and continue to work towards. And I have to continue to do the little things that are necessary. You know, I got to make decisions on offseason. You know, I got to do all those things. I got to, my offseason off schedule is set right now, all the way up until April 18th. Every day is accounted for. Nearly every hour is already accounted for. I know. We got to give a shout out to Kristen Kimball who, who <laughs> helped set this up. I mean, she's got your calendar booked on an hour to hour basis. And it's so great because we have you here on a Sunday and, and your daughter's here and, it's, and, uh, and you're sharing all this great wisdom. Let me ask you to drill down a little bit more yep. for our listeners, for myself. You, you, you target someone to work with. I love the team orientation, understanding, being, being selfless and say how it's, Motivation alone isn't going to get me there. I need guidance, mm -hmm. even from an investor standpoint. Who do I love that's out there investing? Chris Saka, how am I going to get in front of him? How do you get in touch with people that you want to either meet or learn from? Is it easier said than done? or, or is that It depends on who it is. Yeah. You know, um, it depends on, on who it is. In this day and time, um, social has, has helped speed up um, – Help speed up that, you know, kind of help speed up the dialogue, the, yeah. the dialogue and, and, and the process in, in which you can connect with people. Um, 
but from what I've found, and this may seem really weird, um, you know, I have people on my, my wish list, so to speak, that I desire uh, to get in front of um, and desire to, to work with and do business with at some point in time. But I'm very strategic in, in how I do it and when I do it. Um, it's, a, it's a person that, you know, I don't want to mention because I don't, I don't want to put his name out there and, and, uh, and spoil what I'm trying to do. It's, it's, uh, but it's a billionaire who, who's who's done extremely well, and, and I have no reason to be in their presence just yet. So what I'm doing is building a moat. Hmm. Building a moat around them. Building very strategic relationships around them. That's who I want to connect with at one point in time. And it's multiple people. But yep. he's one of those people that I want to connect with at, at one point in time. And I'm, you know, I, I connect with, with his uh with his foundation. You yep. know? Um his foundation is centered around some of the things that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And if you want to add the A to make it STEAM, yep. it's STEAM. Um his foundation works with with making sure that underfunded, underprivileged uh communities and underdeserved communities have access to STEM education. So I connected with this foundation. Um happens to be the person that runs this foundation is his aunt. Mm-hmm. Um, who was like, Kelvin, I want to introduce you to this guy. You know, y'all would be perfect for each other. I said, nope, I'm not ready. Yet. Give me two or three years. Well, Kelvin, he can, he can come to New York here. No, I, no, just wow. we, we can wait. Um, I, I end up meet, meeting his uh, former CTO who ran one of his companies uh, in Chicago. And yeah. he's like, hey, Kelvin, I would love to meet you to, you know, the guy that I'm talking about. I'm yeah. like, no, not right now. Yeah. Not right now. So but, patience is a big piece oh, then. Huge piece. And timing. Timing. This is not It's not the right time. And the thing is, I'm one of those people, if it's somebody that I want to connect with like right now, I reach out to them. I cold call them. Just cold call. calling, cold email, cold DM. Cold DM. If they don't, they don't reach back, they don't reach back. I, I take my time um, because I want it to be organic. I want it to be real. I want it to be authentic. I want it to be genuine. And sometimes I don't like to force it. Um, and sometimes when it's forced it's not as as pleasant mm. um sometimes i'm willing to take uh take my time and, and and work you know different channels to get to somebody yeah um and i'm okay with that and, and it, it makes the relationship i feel more enjoyable um when you don't have to force it you know yeah um so for me it's 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 i think it's strategy i think it's patience uh i think it's willing to be um you know in the back end you know you don't have to you know, I think some, I mean, we're in this cookie cutter world and this microwave world where we want everything right now, mm. you know. And sometimes I don't think that's always the case. As an investor, it's a, you got to, it's a long game. It's a long you know? game. Um, it's a long game and you can't expect to, to have something work uh, overnight. Um, so you have to take your time and, and, and really develop those things. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm country, man. You, you know, we cook stew and I cook, I, I cook barbecue back at home. And when I smoke stuff, I smoke stuff for seven, eight hours. Yeah. I let brisket cook. So that, that patience comes patience, from man. It comes from the upbringing and cooking. Take it, take your time, man. There's no reason to 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 force it, man. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it's no big deal. But you have to take your time. Here's to sleeping well on a great mattress and our show sponsor, Mattress Firm. Everyone should know by now, if you listen to this podcast, how important recovery is through sleep. Everyone should also know how important stretching is before an event, and so does Mattress Firm, except they're stretching your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store, where it's an easy win, and you play make it, take it with every night's rest. 
They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and even bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up and ready for the best night of your life. That's real. Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to see what deals are happening. They're mega and are changing as often as I read these ads. One constant, though, that you can bet on is they offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. You cannot beat it. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Where do you develop and continue to hone a lot of your Kalina's back? Yeah, she's back. A, a this, lot of this, your, this. This is where I hone it at. A lot of your soft skills. <laughs> soft yeah. skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your ability to to be patient, empathetic, mm-hmm. communicate, secure, have a secure attachment, relationship wise, mm-hmm. even. Like, is this something that, you know, again, comes from the roots of your upbringing and your family? Do you read a lot of, like, personal development books? A lot of it come from your wife. Like, how are you honing on? Because it is fairly atypical for an athlete because we're talking about something that almost it becomes paradoxical in, in the drive to win at all costs, mm-hmm. the determination to be the best. Mm-hmm. And that traditionally, you know, that run through the brick wall, to use that analogy, often leaves relationships and care, sensitivity for other people behind, and you, you're able to have both, which is very rare. You have to have balance, you know. Um, when, when I first got into the league, I didn't want to, I mean, not the league, but when I first got to college, again, where I came from, we just didn't, we didn't talk. In country, you say hi, you say bye, that's the end of it, you know. It's cutthroat. It's cut- <laughs> I mean, people will try and take, they, they want your job. They yeah. wanted to be the last lineman drafted. You know, exactly. Um, and uh, I got into college, and I really didn't really didn't want to talk to anybody. But again, you know, I, and I keep I can't I hate to keep saying it, but it was all about relationships. Yeah. And just going outside of my network and going outside of my comfort zone and going and sitting down with the president of, of the university that that hadn't been done, or going and sitting mm-hmm. down with uh, the athletic director for 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 the the, the, um, the athletic department and just having a conversation. Um, and then I do read a lot. You know, uh, I read a lot in college. Uh, one of the first books that I read cover to cover in my life uh, was Tuesdays with Mari. I don't know if you've huh. ever heard of that book. Yeah, I've uh, heard of it. I haven't read it. Wonderful book. I read it multiple times. Uh, loved that book. Um, what was so powerful about it? You know, I had a, my great grandmother was passing away during that time when I was reading that in, in, in the story. You have the man, this uh, Maury, um, who's dying from uh, ALS. Um, and just how fleeting time is. Mm. Um, and how precious time is and, and the balance that you have to have with life and uh, Mitch album in the book, um, how he went about his life and, and, and how he went about going about having and spending those Tuesdays with Mark. So for me, it was uh, one of those lessons in life uh, that I learned early on, um, especially as I, you know, my grandfather uh, was, uh, was actually in the ICU um, a couple of days ago, uh, ended up having a flu uh, mm. Pneumonia and a bacterial infection, uh, all at the same time. Uh, you know they had 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 them on had them on the ventilator. So uh, realize just how precious time is. Like he, he pulled out, which is great. He's doing doing a lot better this week, which is great. Um, but just you know, just I've had experiences. I've I've been through things, and 
those things have caused me to uh, to understand the balance that's needed to have both empathy, but also have that drive that's needed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that you know it, it is is uh, something that I have to work on quite a bit. You know, I have to be able to strain myself. You know, it's so funny. Um, I used to be a, a horrible loser, man. You know, not not that I'm a a better loser now, but uh, <laughs> there's a different way. Though I'm I'm raising my hand because I, I'm like preach to the choir, brother. All right, so man, tell me about it, man. I remember when my my family used to come and watch me play when I was in uh at SMU, and I wasn't. You didn't want to be around me after the game, man. I just mm-hmm. I wasn't a pleasant person. I didn't talk. It would last for a week. Oh, I bet. oh my lord, I, I was Couldn't just sleep. Cause I still don't sleep after the loss, but I've got I've got a family now. I got a wife now. I got a at least you yeah. know I got perspective. You know, um, and even now um, it's so funny. My my siblings when they come up here for a game and and the game doesn't go the way that I that I like for it to go, and my wife and and and, and other friends are at the house waiting on me. You know, my siblings are sitting on pins and needles until I get in the house, <laughs> and I get in the house, and they're like. Who is this guy? Yeah, you know because they 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 know who I was when yeah. I was coming, you know, high school, college, yeah, and even early in the league. But you know, they're, they're preparing for just a, a big hurricane, right? You know, yeah. don't talk to me, snappy. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I'm, I remember I almost turned off the steering wheel when we lost to uh, to Cincinnati uh, early in my career that that knocked us out of the playoffs and. My sister and one of her friends were in town, and and it was, I th- it was a scary situation for them. It wasn't for me. I mean, I was just pissed off. But yeah, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. It, 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 when did that moment change for you? Was there anything in particular? You know, um, I think when it changed was when you know the people around you really don't care about the game. Mm-hmm. They care about you. You know, um, they care about your well being. They care about um, are you gonna be able to come home at night and be able to walk. Uh, and then I had a wife, you know, and I remember her um, praying for me when, when uh, you know, I hurt my knee uh, my second year. I, I only missed one game, but I hurt my knee and, and couldn't sleep at night. And, you know, when I blew my knee out and my mom, I you know, hadn't been around my mom for nine days in a row since I left uh, high school. Um, and, and you start putting things in perspective. This game is very fleeting, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yes, it's a game. Yes, it's competitive. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, when you got your daughter that's waiting at the at the at the gate after the game, and she's wanting to give you a kiss and a hug and say I love you, you can't be like, oh, I don't love you too because we just lost, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You got yeah. You got to She don't know. She she has no she has no clue, right? You know, I mean, even now she has no clue what I'm doing right now. She knows daddy is. Yeah. You know, I'm going into the city. You want to go with daddy? Yes, yeah. I'm going with daddy to the city. I, I think about this a lot, and I'm curious to see where you land. Do you think that those you know, Kelvin Beecham pre you know, kind of 1.0 and calling you 2.0 now, the way you digested losing was almost necessary or part of it? Or do you look back? And again, I'm kind of neutral on this, trying to figure it out myself, look back on it like, wow, I, I, that caused a lot of stress in my life, caused a lot of harm to relationships that I had and, and people that were around me. And I, I over... I, I overthought a lot of the value and who I was and, and that being, you know, as D. Smith, who you know really well, says, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he works with a lot of his players on getting them to know that football is what they do, not who they yeah, are. Correct. Um, that said, do you think that that process to get to the top 
is almost necessary at, at some point. It is that that like it, it ha- at all costs mentality. It has to be necessary. Ah, I think the, I, I hate that. Though, I know. You know? I, I, who you telling? Yeah. You know, I think the journey. <laughs> I think the journey is necessary. The ups and downs, the 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 hills and valleys are necessary uh, for you to become the person that you need to be. Yeah. You know, the experiences are necessary. Uh, the losing is necessary. You know, I used to hate this when my dad used to tell me when I was a kid. You got to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win. And I hated that. Yeah. I hated it with a passion. Yeah. It would be times, man, when we, when I was playing little dribblers, man, I was like little peewee. And he would literally, he was a coach, and he would get the sorriest team, put the sorriest team together, yeah. and he would coach that team. Yeah. He would say, I'm teaching you how to lose because this would teach you how to win. Hmm. And I hated it, man. I hated it with a passion, man. Yep. My first two years at SMU, I was two and twenty-two. Two and twenty-two. So I was mad a lot. <laughs> I hear you. And man. after the, you know, after the, I was thinking about transferring, um, and he was like, "Got to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win." Mm. The next three years, we went to three straight bowl games. Yep. Um, and it was rough, man. Um, when I look at now, you know, I've I've had failure in life. Um, and I've had failure in different different instances, and this taught me how to win. It's taught me how to succeed. It's taught me to have how to have grit. You know, one of my sayings I say all the time: trust God, embrace adversity. Like I love adversity. Like actually go and seek it sometimes because I want it to be hard. And as an investor, even now, it's like you know, trying to crack the code and and, and crack venturing and and crack getting into competitive deals is is a uh, it's, it's a difficult. challenge. It's a challenge. But you learn skills from it. Oh, you learn so many different skills from it. You learn people skills. You learn soft skills. You learn negotiation skills. You know, I thought about going to get, uh, going to get an MBA. There's no reason for me to get an MBA right now. I'm getting an MBA on the job, literally. That's right. You know? That's right. So, um, you know, I, I know that was a rant way No, it makes, I love that, seeking out adversity and, and, the, and, the, and the notion that it's going to get worse before it gets better, yeah. but post-traumatic growth lives on the other side. Yep, Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mentioned D. Smith, and I know that um, we've talked a lot of it about about your playing and, and your business background, and your academics, but you're also supporting other players as an ambassador mm-hmm. um, um, with the NFLPA and and One Team Collective. Mm-hmm. So at a high level, there 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 are areas where you can fill in where, what I'm missing, but kind of acknowledging protection of players, helping your peers navigate through opportunity. Mm-hmm. longevity what would you say i should maybe rephrase this how how or why are you uh are you a part of one team collective from an ambassador's perspective and what do you hope to accomplish i think why i'm a part of one team collective is for one personally to get a deeper understanding of how business works from their point of view mm-hmm. um, again I've, I've talked about that throughout this uh this particular this particular segment is seeing things from different lenses. And with One Team Collective, I'm able to see things from um, an entity who's trying to get into venture and trying to invest and looking at a different route in which to invest. No entity invests or, or, or takes equity in a company for leveraging rights. You know, we're this the rights of the players. Nobody does that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So looking at it from a much different uh, capacity, and then from an investor standpoint is is how do they examine uh, these invest investable opportunities mm-hmm. um, and then the partners that they have associated with them. So you have Madrona, 
you have Intel Capital, you have Kleiner Perkins, you have BlackRock, you have um, Sports Innovation Lab, you have Mad Dog, uh, I think it's entertainment, it's a media, mm-hmm. media company. Um, they bring all these different types of experience together. How can I learn from, from them? Yep. Um, so it's a, a learning experience first and foremost. And then, you know, then how do I bring others along? Yep. Once I have an understanding, how do I bring others along? You know, for me, I'm one of those people. Okay, I, I get there first, and then how do I bring others along with me? How do how do I make sure the pipeline is secure so it's people that can continue to do the same thing that I'm doing and go further than I than I went? You know, so it's it's making sure that you know I understand it so I can be able to communicate it back to to friends and and, and teammates so they can then go about it and, and utilize it in the same way. Yeah, and you're an LP with Next Play. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is Ryan Neese's yep. group that he started. Yep. Uh, I know Ryan really well. I've been trying to get him on this pod, but he's just as busy as you. Yeah, he's busier than I am. <laughs> I mean, that guy is uh, he's, he, he's, he's, oh. a, he's a stud. He hustles. <laughs> he's, yes, he does. He's well-versed across industries, and, and he's doing some great things in, in way of what you've mentioned and bringing other athletes into the fold and helping them uh, understand venture and, mm-hmm. and create their own investment thesis, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so from your time with one team and next play and doing some angel investing yourself, what is your investment thesis or what, what do you get attracted around, particularly with founders and products or services? So, you know, for me right now, I, I would like to, if I can, if I got time, I would like to go about it this way. You have all the time you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, for me, the industries that I look at right now um, or sectors that I look at, you know, I love um, robotics, mm. drones. Um, those are kind of hardware entities that I look at. Um, artificial intelligence. Yep. Uh, I've really gotten into the hard, deep tech. So uh, information technology, uh, big data, enterprise software. Uh, really started to, to, to gravitate there because a lot of, a lot of athletes don't go there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned, you know, kind of not being stereotypical. I'm not an enterprise. I mean, I'm not a consumer oriented guy I'm just not a consumer goods type of guy because I, don't, I think people are fickle yeah. um, so like going where I know there are some guarantees and where money is going to go um, and then kind of on the you know some of those are frontier technologies you know robo- robotics and drones are kind of frontier technologies but as you get into the more um, you know the, the, the hot bed topics right now um, you have the, the cryptos and you have esports um, that I feel that are um, frontier type of technologies that are, that are now happening um, and as it pertains to, to thesis, I'm still working on those things. Yeah. Um, if I, in sports tech, sports tech, I don't, sometimes I don't even say that because that's like, that's what again, that's what I do. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just natural. You know. Yeah. Um, but for me, on the sports tech side, from a thesis standpoint, and I haven't developed it super poignant just yet, but anything that touches a prof- professional athlete, I want to own a piece of it. That's just how I see it right now. It's kind cool. of very. Overarching, and, I, and the reason I say that is because we have in sports all of this entertainment power, um, and we're continually to, to entertain, and we're continuing to to provide metrics and data, um, but we don't own any of it as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, and I'm talking about just from an NFL standpoint, you have Zebra Technologies um, that is now putting sensors on every single individual athlete. And that athlete doesn't own that data, mm. nor does he own the company that owns the data. Yep. So in essence, we're just a hamstring. I mean, we're just a, the hamster in the wheel just going over and over and over. You're, pr- you're like providing content for them. It's like UGC with no no monetization around it. 
no monetization at all. You know, Never, that's, not even an opt-in. Not it's even, like, here you go, guys. Not even an opt-in. You know, so for me, as an investor, I look at that and I'm like, man, that's a huge play. And a lot of people be like, well, Beecham, why does that even matter? Well, that lives on forever. That those metrics and that data that they gather, it didn't they they never they didn't used to do it, so why they want to do it now? Yeah. You know, we've been playing football for hundreds, I mean it ain't been hundreds of years, but I mean what yeah. it was, it's fifty I mean fifty one this year, so yeah. fifty one. You know, been playing football for almost seventy some years, you know? So professional football. So I'm like, why do they now need this information? And yeah. if they do, why don't athletes own the data and not only own the data, but own the have equity in the companies that own the data? And that's where One Team Collective and your work there and the NFLPA is, is lobbying to the extent that they can under the current CBA? Well, that's something that, that we need to consider. But yeah. again, that's CBA oriented. You know, that's between that's the right. that's between the league and the NFLPA. These companies that the league hires, they're not they're I mean, they may work on a licensing deal with that particular entity. Yeah. But they're not players that own equity in the companies that we're using. Like how many players do you know have equity at Microsoft? We use Microsoft yeah. all the time on the right. sideline. Right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like how many guys do you know have equity in the company that makes the footballs that we throw on right. a daily basis? Right. So just, you know, for me it's it's that kind of reverse engineering. Uh, as an athlete, okay, what are the things that we should be owning that are part of our game? Right. And how can I find a way to to then not own it? So from an investment thesis, that's where I'm working at or, or working on. Yep. Um, it's not just this structured, so to speak. Because the thing is, as an athlete and as an athlete investor, you have a network to be able to get into any deal that you want to, mm. in essence, I feel. Um, whether it's a seed deal. Um, I mean, as you get into private equity, it's a little harder. Yep. But – Anything between Angel up until a Series F. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel you have the ability to get in. Yeah. And you can get in at a at whatever price that you des- at, at whatever price you desire because you have leverage. You yeah. Know? And when you say price, you mean the check size. Check that you size. Want, right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, my, right now, you know, my check size is ten to fifty thousand. Yeah. You know. Um, that's where I play in. That's the, yep. that's the range that I play in. And if I invest in the fund, I know that the the minimum is a, is a little uh, more steep, which I'm prepared to do. Right. But you know, individual deals, ten to fifty thousand. And if you don't want my money, no, no biggie. Yeah. You know. But I, it's very rare that that you know I've been told no too. But it's very rare that if it's a company that I really really want. Yeah. That I'm not going to find a way to get into at some point in time. Yeah, I love the idea that that. You want to get involved in companies that uh, that that are basically a part of what you do for a living. For a living, um, there are identified sectors that are, are of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to influence and be a part of the growth in both. Mm-hmm. When we talk about founders and people, or whether it's Kristen who works with you directly and has for five plus years, or or as I mentioned, founders, what are like core characteristics that you're looking for? And this could be people that you bring onto your team or mm-hmm. people that you're deploying capital to. Mm-hmm. What do they have to have or what do they have to show you? For one, can I talk to them? Like, can me, can me and you have a, a simple conversation? Mm. Um, and sometimes that's hard for some founders. Like, can you text me and can we, can we have a conversation? Like, yep. can me and you just, hey, just text it up. Like, can we, can we just talk? 
You know, mm-hmm. do I have the thing is is when you're investing in somebody, you're investing in somebody for almost ten years. You're married to them for ten years in essence, depending on what stage of the company it is. You yep. know, and if you invest in this, you know, they've done it for five years, most likely they're gonna do another company, so you're gonna know them and be tied to them again for another ten years. Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to have a a personal relationship with with that person. That's first and foremost. Um and then I, I really look at, you know, the characteristics of who they are. Like really understanding um, who they are, what they're about, um, what's most important to them. Why is it important to you? You know, we during this entire segment, we've talked about my why behind a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I want to understand that why, um, you know, uh, for that founder or for that entrepreneur yep. or for somebody that, that, that I'm working with. And some of the people that I've worked with, you know, I just cut, you know, fired uh, two people that I had working with before about two or three years mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to to – to be more efficient, uh, not only with the funds that I had, but also more efficient with my brand and more efficient with my time. Um, was that hard? It was. Uh, it was a, a difficult process. Yeah. Um, um, the reason being because you know I'm a very friendly person. Like you know, when I get to know you, or when you're in my circle, you really, you really in my circle. Um, and you know, I'm loyal to you, and I, I pray that you're loyal to me. Um, and Usually, I'm not the type of person that if you're loyal to me and if you haven't done anything to be fired, that I need to fire you. Mm -hmm. But if I'm growing as a person and I'm growing as a brand, I need people around me that are growing as well. And if I'm going to pay you a salary, I need you continuing to develop as well. Um, So it wasn't so much that they wasn't doing something, but Mm. at the pace in which I'm going, I need others around me that are going at that pace or even faster. Um, I mentioned I'm going here. I need people that are going there because I want to be, I want to be in a different type of stratosphere. So yeah. I want to make sure that I'm around people that have that type of mindset to be in that type of stratosphere as well. That makes a lot of sense. How are you communicating with your team members, especially on the business side when you are traveling and training in Arizona mm-hmm. with the team in New York out in CES? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you delegating responsibilities and making sure that everyone's in sync and growing on that trajectory that you want to? My team? Yep. My team, it's only two people now, which is great. Yep. Um, so, you know, me and Kristen went through my entire week at CES. Yep. Um, you know, <laughs> one thing that she tells me sometimes is stop overbooking stuff. So yeah, I can do that from time to time. Yeah. How many, how many things are you booking in a day? Well, at CES? Yeah. At CES, it was stupid, man. I had... Uh, <laughs> I had like uh it was one night I had uh I actually got sick that night too. Um I had like four different events, like yep. four different receptions, all within a four hour time frame. Mm. And it was raining too at CES and uh I didn't have a hat on and trying to get everything done. That adds a layer of stress, doesn't it? Oh, tons of stress, man. I had to get an IV every day that I was out there after that. So <sighs> went from Wednesday on up until um Saturday morning, I got an IV every morning to start my day, mm. um, because I'm like I, I can't do this to my body. If I'm a, if I'm a, give the way that I'm giving to yep. to 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 network and to have meetings and things of that nature, I need to make sure that I'm in, also inputting something good into my body. That's the difficult part about some of these conferences. Is there's so much stimulation. There are so many events. It's almost too much, man. And it's just you know three, two, three days, depending on how long you're there. Sometimes four, and and you. You feel like you have to really get everything out of the event possible, and you overbook. You get worn down. Yeah. Is 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 Kristen handling your calendar soup to nuts in in way of booking? And then if that's the case, 
assuming you have access to it, what do you use? What do you like to do from a calendar standpoint? How do you access appointments and bookings? So um, she has access to my to my calendar. She also has access to my email as well. And a lot of times, um, I'm I'm usually the person that's that's doing most of the interaction, mm-hmm. unless I'm on the road at CES or yep. I'm on vacation. Um, most of the times, you know, I book my own meetings and I say, hey, um, you know, most of the times, especially in venture now, you know, you get connected with their assistant and their assistant handles their account. And I'm like, yep. hey, just connect with Kristen and I let go. y'all put this together. Just, again, being more efficient with my time. If it's somebody that I'm very close with, she knows that and she knows that, you know, I handle that and and. I just go in my email and, and, and put this count, you know, because some people I like to have standing appointments with, you know, if it's somebody that I'm that I'm talking with on a monthly basis or a biweekly basis, you know, they'll shoot me a text. Hey, Kelvin, let's find a way to get on the get on the phone in the next two weeks. Hey, I text Kristen, Kristen, get such and such on the calendar, get Larry on the, on the calendar yep. uh, in two weeks. Um, and then when I get to Arizona, for me, I've you know, been talking to my wife about this. And I'm, like I said, very structured with how I do my time is. Um, you know, I'm only going to have calls from 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, uh, Pacific Standard Time. So I do only do calls from 2 to 4 Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday and Thursday. That will mm. be the time that I do my calls on. Um, depending on who it is, somebody may get bumped further back in the year. Or if it's somebody that I need to talk to right now, they get put up front. And depending on the time, it will be a 20-minute call or 30-minute call. Um, it, used to be a call it used to be a point where I used to do hour-long calls, and I've been able to – Figure out if I can't get this done in 30 minutes, then me and you don't even be talking in the first place because that's how efficient people who are doing efficient things are with their time. Yep. Um, so if it's not done in 15 to 20 minutes, then it's probably best that, we're, that we don't need to be talking. This might be a difficult one to answer, but but I'm challenged with it myself and why I probably preface it that way. But do you enjoy the workouts more or the the deal flow and businesses more now? The work, or, workouts like... Just, I just getting go- going, man. You oh, know, man, sixteen I, game starter. I I got to have it. You got to have I got, it. I got to have it. Yeah. You know, I, I love looking at deals, um, which is it's fun, um, and I love networking. But I, I got to have football. Yeah. Well, not not so much football. Like when football is over with, I'll, I'll be fine. Um, whenever that time is, you know, not fine, but I'll be able to 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 manage. Yeah. Um, but I love working out. Um, I, I love for me. I, I love the process because for me. My goal is my goal in football is so much bigger than my goal in investing right now. Mm-hmm. And when it's time to switch, they they you know they'll be able to switch. But that's not that's not that's not at that point right now. You know, this has been great um, sitting with both of you. <laughs> but what I hear from NFL players often is is that there is less available time than perhaps even NBA, MLS. NHL, MLB, yeah, during Mm -hmm. season, Um, and and there's also this threat because of the the lifetime, average lifetime of a player being two two to two and a half years is like, gosh, you know, don't risk you know meeting your ownership group and seeing if you can learn about their businesses because they're going to think that you're distracted. Mm -hmm. Now again, you're in a secure place and you've gotten there, however by however means, most of which we've discussed. But what do you give in way to advice to other young NFL players or pro athletes that are concerned about being pegged as being distracted by off the field activities? Performance. Just play. That's it. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Performance, man. You know, um, hmm. 
one thing that I've learned, and, and this is conversations I've also had with uh, with Ryan as well, is as long as you're performing, like they really don't care about what you do with your time, how you use your time. Because the thing is, is like if somebody's going out to the club and, and, and partying it up, throwing bricks at the strip club, and they go out and throw five touchdowns and have five sacks on a Sunday, do you think that owner really cared what he did at the strip club? They really don't care. So why should you be so – uh, why should you care about what you're doing from a business standpoint? Um, but I think, you know, what I've learned is, you know, they don't want you to be educated. They don't want you to mm-hmm. um, have your cake and eat it too. So you need to be smart about how you do it. You know, you need to make sure that you're also highlighting um, their organization as you're doing it. So if you're highlighting their organization, making them look good, you're going to find a way to get what you're trying to accomplish done in the process as well. So, it's some give and take. It is some strategy to it. It's some. Uh, it's some. Um, I'm gonna say politicking, but it's some some polishing the apple in which you have to do to make sure that uh, what you're trying to accomplish from a business standpoint is is being able to be done while you're also taking care of football. Because at the end of the day, what you're paid to do is play football and play football at a very or play sports, what have you, at a very very high level. Now, if you can do that and manage to do those other things as well you know, it helps, you know. That's that's fantastic advice. And I'll, and I'll say that while it seems through this conversation and others that I've had with NFL guys is that you know, ownership groups or sensitivity around extracurricular business and education can feel inflamed in that space. But being able to effectively manage egos and mm-hmm. the other side is critical in any business. And that always lives. Very rarely is it just like, hey, this is what I want. This is what I think. And I'm going to kind of lower my shoulder and accomplish the task. And I think to a, to a greater degree, what, you're, what you've experienced and are going through and, ed- and helping educate some of your peer group is going to be really valuable even after the NFL career and just, again, being able to manage other people and understand their perspective and, and not play with it to the extent of, of exposure, but just say, hey, here are the cards that I'm dealt. How can I think through a situation being strategic? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. you got to be – I think is is, is – Everybody has resources, and the NFL and the NFLPA, and I imagine any other sports yep. organization has resources. But how many people actually plug into those resources? You know, how many teammates of yours actually utilize all the resources that you have available? You know, that you pay for with dues or not dues, or you know, yep. it's so many things that we have at our disposal. It's up to us as athletes to use them, and sometimes I think we sell ourselves short of seeing everything that's around us and being able to leverage everything. Mm. We have the power. We have the opportunity. We have the bandwidth. We got more energy than most people on this planet. So how do you how do you leverage that? And once you leverage that, you're in a very good position. In a very good position not only while you're playing, but also after, after you're done playing. Because the thing is, you can leverage these things while you're playing. You can make headway while you're playing. It's up to you whether you want to do it. If you enjoyed Kelvin as much as I did, please be sure to let us know. Continue that conversation with us on Twitter. My handle is at Paul Rabel and his is at Kelvin Beecham Jr. That's J-R. Be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversations with Bill Belichick, Venus Williams, Drew Brees. And now that the college lacrosse season has begun, Johns Hopkins head coach Dave Petramala. He's the man. All these episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please subscribe. 
Shortcut to our show notes, you can visit suitingupodcast.com. And of course, a special shout out to our show's sponsors today, Mattress Firm, Beachbody On Demand, and Bombfell. I know last week I promised the CEO of HBSE, the 76ers and New Jersey Devils. Well, we pivoted because I thought it would be better to drop his interview the day after the NBA All-Star Game, which is this coming weekend. So, Scott O'Neill is next. Until then, have a great week.